I believe you are just smiling down as she looks into your eyes. And we are blessed to be able to look into her eyes because she sees you. She's been listening a long time, hearing your voice. We are so blessed tonight to be able to hear about what the Lord is saying to you tonight, Diane. We love you. I knew. <laughs> yeah. How many of you knew that song? A few of them. So who made that song famous? Anybody know? Yeah? Steve Green. Steve Green. People need the Lord. Amen? I am so, so excited to be back here. Um, I travel all over the world. As some of you know, I've been to 45 nations in the last 10 years. But one of my favorite places to go in all of the world is the ranch. And, And I mean that. I love coming here. Last night I spoke for the Harvest Project. And someone, where are you? Prayed for God sending the mother. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, I'm not a mother. A mother what? (laughs) And so it was, I'm feeling like a mom when I'm with you guys. I'm 56 now, and I absolutely, my favorite age group in in all the world is is you guys. I I love, I love, love, love you guys. So I want to share with you tonight, you're talking about outreach. Ooh, I, I just need to pray one more time, okay? So Lord, there's nothing on your heart more than the lost, It's the reason heaven sent you, because you came for one reason, not to have a Bible study or a prayer meeting or a worship service. You came to seek and to save the lost. You were on a mission. Ah, You heard the 911 cry. Heaven sent the Coast Guard. Heaven sent the fire trucks. Heaven sent the police department, because somebody was lost. And you put all your money and all your time, you backed heaven with your son as he came to seek and to save the lost. And Lord, we got a lot on our plate. There's a lot of things. We feel like an octopus sometimes with eight arms, and we've got so many things pulling us here and there and everywhere, and so many voices crying for our attention, and our our smartphones are full Our calendars are full, our hours are full of all kinds of stuff. But tonight, rearrange our schedule, rearrange our priorities, help us to lay our head on the chest of Jesus and feel his heartbeat for the lost. Somehow, Lord, you got to get what's inside of you inside of us. And we've got to have our hearts broken by the things that break the heart of God. For many of us, yeah, we can sing about the lost and sing people need the Lord and everything else, but Lord, we got, we 
teach us how to weep for the lost, to travail. It's been a long time maybe since some of us have cried because someone didn't know you. But Lord, we need to cry again. And maybe we need to cry for the first time. I know I grew up in a Christian home, and so I didn't really know what lost felt like because I can't remember a time when I didn't know you. I just grew up knowing you. And yet, boy, I was surrounded by people who didn't have a clue. They thought you were a swear word. And so, yeah, break our hearts tonight. And Holy Spirit, come and just make this all real because like outreach and witnessing can, I mean, it's been so weirded out and so many crazy, stupid things happening in the name of outreach that have just freaked the lost out and they just want to run when they see a Christian coming and they got all kinds of names for us and uh, a lot of the names we deserve because we've done some pretty strange things to them. Yet, Jesus, we see all over the scripture that lost crowds followed you. You were like a people magnet. They just, lost people couldn't be around you enough. And here we're repelling them like the magnet facing the wrong way. Lord, we don't want to repel people like we've been sprayed with DEET. Lord, we want to draw people like bees to honey. Yeah, Lord, so come, Lord Jesus, be our guest. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, I've shared some of this in different settings. I've been around Harvest Project or Communitas so many times, so please forgive me if I repeat a story or say something that I've shared again, but I just want us to be captivated and captured by how unbelievably magnetic and personable and winsome and engaging and captivating is our Lord Jesus. And how supernaturally natural, if there's anything that I can say about Jesus, I love how natural he was. Nothing religious. They they were amazed by him because he didn't talk like the other religious people. He didn't he he spoke the language of the people. He was always seeking to connect connection was everything for him so he was always real and seeking a connection with the people that he was with he did not have a formula he didn't have a one size fits all he didn't have a i always do these three steps he was always looking for new ways to capture the minds and the hearts of the people that he was engaged with and the lost loved him He was called a friend of drunkards and harlots. I mean, that's why some people thought that he wasn't a religious leader because the religious people didn't like him and the sinners did. Oh, what a great testimony that would be, huh? Sinners love us. I want that to be said about communitas, that the most lost people in this city love this room because these are the naturally supernatural people. These are the people who talk a language they understand, who walk alongside of them, who love them like crazy. And so let's take a look at what Jesus is challenging all of us. So there's a story. I'm not going to go through the details. You, you, you can, if you're taking notes, write it down. But in Luke chapter 5, 1 through 11, it's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. 
and he is speaking to a crowd. There is a crowd following Jesus, right? And he's on the um, edge of the lake of uh, Gennesaret, and he notices um, some boats, some fishermen's boats parked there. So he says to one of the guys, Simon, who became Peter, um, he says to Simon, push out your boat. And so Simon does, and after a while, Jesus says to him, go out into the deeper water, cast your net on the other side in the deeper side. And Peter says, Simon says to him, but master, we've been fishing all night and we haven't caught a diddly thing. But, you know, if you say so, I guess we'll give it a shot. So he throws his net over the other side and catches this huge net of fish, so much that the nets begin to tear and to break, and the guys, yoo-hoo, to their friends, get over here, man. Our nets are breaking and our boat's about to go down, not from a storm like we talked about last night, but from such a huge catch of fish. It was mind-boggling to fishermen, wondering, We've been fishing all night. Where did those come from? And, and Peter realizes this is not a normal fishing expedition here. I mean, this is not our normal trip out. And Peter says, you know, be merciful to me. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus says to him, you come follow me, and I'm going to teach you how to catch the souls of men. That is a great hook. What's he doing? He's speaking to him a language he understands. He's a fisherman. He gets, he gets the pull of wanting to catch big fish, right? He's had the excitement of all of his life of going out there fishing, and he knows what it's like to come home with nothing. He knows what it's like to come home with a few. He knows what it's like to have a stringer of big ones. And Jesus, Jesus sets that whole thing up to say, Peter, you want to go fishing? I'm going to take you on a fishing trip like no other fishing trip. Only now we're not just catching fish. We're catching people. You got that? How many of you want that? What is the, for Peter, the greatest excitement of his life, right, was catching fish. I don't know what it has been for you. If the Lord was here tonight and your biggest excitement is basketball, you know what it's like to sink a bucket as the buzzer's going off and your team wins? Well, I'm going to show you a goal that will make winning a basketball game like nothing. <laughs> Whatever it is that hooks you, Jesus is basically saying, I got a high that's better, right? And that is changed lives, okay? Because I did all the high school stuff, and the first time I led somebody to the Lord... I was 18, and I saw Jesus in front of my eyes change one of my classmates from a beer-drinking, dope-smoking fool in one week to a Jesus-loving girl. We went back into the bars of Grantsburg, Main Street, where she had just been saved from the week before, and the bar people said to her, what are you on tonight? They wanted to know what kind of pot she was smoking because her eyes looked different than they ever had before. And she said, it ain't Acapulco Gold that I'm on. It's Jesus. 
She said, that's why my eyes look different this week. I just met Jesus. I'm, I'm like, wow, how did he do that? How did he change my friend this fast? She now, um, her last son just graduated from high school. All three of her kids, she lives in Siloam Springs, Arkansas. All of her kids are Jesus loving, God fearing, radical, your age, college and career age. And I think, I just sat with one of her, her oldest daughter, Emily, and I said, did your mom ever tell you what she was like when she was your age? I said, you just can't believe what God has done in your home. And where you'd be if, yeah, if your mama didn't meet Jesus. She didn't meet me. She met Jesus. I can't change people, right? So Jesus is saying, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So I got hooked. The first one, Simon got hooked that night when he had that big drought of fish. And then God says, you want something better than this? I'm going to teach you how to catch people. That's what Jesus wants to do with you tonight. He wants to teach you how to catch people. Because once you've had that taste, everything else pales in comparison. I mean, there's no high, there's no buzz greater than seeing the Holy Spirit come and do that miracle of changing somebody from the inside out. And he can do it in a moment. Like in an instant, we think it's got to be baggage forever. I've watched Jesus in the twinkling of an eye flip people's lives over. There's no human explanation for that. It's great. So, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 4, it says this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 3 through 4. Um, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God going above that. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing three and four. Uh, the gospel is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. It's like you pulled the curtains down. You have those thick drapes, and you pull down. So you wonder, how come I haven't been effective in sharing the gospel? I've tried. You've been out there trying, right? You've talked about Jesus. You've done some gospel presentation, and you felt like it was just went, like it was water off a duck's back, and that they didn't understand a word you said, and that they could have given a rip about what you did or said, and it was just, you thought, wow, that was sure a waste of time. And you felt like an idiot. You felt like a failure, right? I have, there's no area in my Christian life that I've struggled with like witnessing. You probably wouldn't know that from a missionary, but I have struggled with this area more than anything because the devil will do everything he can to keep us away from successful fishermen. He does not want us to be able to reach people for Jesus. You know the average Christian in America? Only 10% of all the Christians in America have led anybody to the Lord. 90% in their lifetime never lead somebody to Jesus. I don't want any of you to be in that 
where you have never had the joy of praying with somebody to receive Christ. I think the Lord has something better for communitas. And so it's going to be a struggle, but it's a struggle worth fighting. So number one, when we see this, the biggest reason we're not effective in, in leading people to Christ is they are literally like they're, like they're blindfolded. They cannot see what we're talking about. They cannot hear what we're talking about because this verse says the God of this age, small g, in other words, Satan, has just plugged their ears and put a veil over their eyes so that they cannot see or hear. So how is that going to change? One way. We have got to pray. First, That's the first thing the Lord taught me about being a fisherman. You look at Jesus, right? What's he doing? He's up at the crack of dawn. He's all by himself praying. What do you think he's praying about? I am convinced because of his mission statement. He came to seek and to save the lost. I'm convinced he's up with the roosters because Jesus is going, Father, I'm going to be going through these villages today. I haven't a clue who it is that you want me to talk to. Lord, you make that connection. Father, help me to tell the right stories today, to do the right kinds of teaching that are going to open the ears and lift up the veil of the eyes of those who cannot see. The Lord, I think, is seeing as he's praying that little Zacchaeus up a tree. Oh, that's the guy I'm going to go to dinner with tonight. He's, he's seeing the woman coming through the crowd to touch the hem of his garment. Ah, I'm going to have some woman touch me. That's who I need to connect with today. I'm convinced it was in his prayer time as he prayed for the lost and did the warfare when he was alone on the mountain or alone on the hill, all by himself, praying for the lost. I want to ask you, who are you praying for right now every day? Are there lost people on your hit list? Do you have, do you, you know, the average Christian doesn't know a lost person. Did you know that? Because we're taught come apart and be separate and touch not the unclean thing. And, and the light has no fellowship with darkness. That's a crock. We should, we should always have non-Christian friends. We can't bunker in like this and have our holy huddle and not have lost friends. I think I told you this guys, this before. I went to public high school and I came to Bethel right down the road here, right? It drove me nuts to be in a school full of Christians. I about climbed the walls to have Profs praying all the time in chapel every day. And where were the lost? I know. Yeah, they're there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that. They're there. I found a few of them too. But there wasn't enough for me. You know, and so I, it was then, it was while I was at Bethel with too many Christians, I felt like we had way too much light hidden under a bushel and so that's when God spoke to me and said, I want you going home every weekend and doing bar ministry. I'd never been to a bar in my life. I'd never been to a party in my life. I'd never even sipped a beer. And so God is saying, go home on weekends. Don't hang out here at Bethel and go to the football game. Go back to your hometown and go bar hopping. <laughs> I will never forget the first night I walked into a bar in my hometown. I, 
you know, everybody knows you when you're from a town of a thousand people, right? I walked in the barn. It was about the size of this room. And someone in the back, you see the door open up, and then there's a little light shine through from the street light that comes into the dimly lit bar, which this atmosphere is a bit like the bar, actually. <laughs> and a girl in the back stands up and goes, Diane Brask, what the hell are you doing in a place like this? Her name was Denise, and I can still see her shocked face. And I just walked across the bar. I mean, I was scared spitless. I walked across the bar, and I said, you know, that's a good question, Denise. I'm basically here because this is where all you guys hang out. I never get to see you because I'm, I'm at Bethel. And you guys are here, and I, I miss you. I've missed all you guys. We hung out in school every day, and now we never see each other. So I thought, if you're not going to come to where I am, I'm going to come to where you are. So let's sit down and talk. We never, ever did. My friend and I went bar hopping steady for two years. We never carried a Bible in with us. We never carried in a track. We never had these questions or surveys we were going to ask so that we could manipulate the conversation and make it be about God. We just really felt like the Lord was saying, go in and love them and be like Jesus. Tell stories, joke around, talk about the things you have in common, laugh hard, let them see me. Inevitably, someone would, they knew who I was. Inevitably, someone would say, we know you're here, Diane, because you love us, because you know God. So tell us a little more. We would close the bars at 2 o'clock. And somebody would invite us to the house for keep the party going. And I'm an early to bed, early to rise girl. I like to, you know, get up at 6 and go to bed at 10. So here I am out till 2, 3 in the morning, you know. Very strange for me. But they would buy pop. They'd say, Chris and Diane don't drink. So they'd buy a, what do you guys want? Pepsi, Mountain Dew. And, you know, they'd buy us a 12-pack. Come on over to the house. We saw scores of people come to Jesus because we just determined we're going to hang out where they are right? We, we even, when we started ministry, we even had an outreach. Nikki Cruz came to Siren, Wisconsin, and because we'd done bar ministry, we went to the owner of the bar who has this big marquee up on the roof that advertises the poorhouse, and it's a martini glass porn, and we said, hey, would you be willing to advertise this event for us and just put the crusade up on your marquee so everybody can see it? Sure, Diane, we'd love to do that for you. So Nikki Cruz Crusade, March 15th through the 17th, everybody's welcome. On the bar, because we'd been their friends, right? So we could do that now. So first of all, pray. Who are you praying for? I would love if all you guys would accept this challenge. Get together with a friend or two, and you just have anywhere from one to three names that, you, that God, God put on my heart. Someone that I work with, someone in my family, some neighbor, Somebody in my school that is lost. Give me a burden. Ask the Lord for a burden for at least one person. Might be somebody that every time you get gas at this station and that gas station attendant, you know, doesn't know the Lord. Anyway, you write that down someplace. Then you get together once in a while. It can be a, you know, you guys can have a group phone call together, Skype together and say, we're going to pray for the people on our list together. We're going to form this triple braided cord that's not easily broken. On the farm, 
we sat milking cows on a three-legged milk, milk stool. Not a one-legged peg, not a two-legged stool, a three-legged stool. The Bible says one standing alone can be easily defeated, two standing back to back. If one falls, his friend can pick him up again. But a triple-braided cord, that's not easily broken. So you get three friends, you be a three-legged milk stool, and you pray on a regular basis for each other's loss. This is mine. And you, you know, just spend a few minutes. Every, if you do it every week, it would be great. I'm going to tell you, besides that first person I led to the Lord, when I started in youth ministry, I walked into a public school, Webster High School. I saw three gorgeous high school girls, juniors and seniors, flirting with the football team. I turned to the guy I was with and I said, who are those three girls? And he said, Denise and Teresa and Jane. I said, that's good. I'll remember their names. I want them. <laughs> and, and so I made a promise to God that day. I said, Lord, I'm getting those girls by your spirit, and I want you to burden me with how you feel about them. And I'm going to pray for them, Lord, every day. I'm going to hound heaven and hound hell until those girls give their lives to you. And I never missed a day. Now, I didn't just pray for them. I went after them to play with them. I found out what are their interests. One girl likes horseback riding. Well, I got six horses. Guess who's going horseback riding with me? <laughs> and so I want to come horseback riding? Let's go horseback riding. She has horses. I'll come over and ride horse with you. You know, another girl likes, she just likes crazy stuff. She likes to laugh. And so I am good for that. And so <laughs> let's do wild and crazy stuff and laugh a lot. Find out the, the hook like Jesus did. Jesus used the bait that worked, right? To fishermen, he talked about fishing. To farmers, he talked about seeds. To sh shepherds, he talked about sheep. Don't use the bait you like. Use the bait they like. Now, don't take it to too far of an extreme. You know, you could get a little crazy with this liking the same bait, right? But you need to identify with them. And so I would, I pursued those three girls like a bloodhound hunting. I was on a hunt. I wanted them. And within a year, all three of them gave their lives to the Lord. The first one, the horseback rider, she dropped like a fly. She was, she was worthless after three months. It was like, I want to give my life to Jesus tonight. I'm like, wow. But you know what? The veil was getting lifted, right? Because of prayer. Because of, and when you pray for something every day, it gets in you. The Bible says where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So when you put treasure of prayer, that's treasure. You put treasure of time, you put treasure of money, your heart will follow that. You will get a burden because your heart is there because you've invested, right? So invest in the lost. Don't make it cheap. Invest your time. Invest your prayer. Invest, like Paul said, it's not about us. It's about the lost. So give them, don't give them the crumbs, the leftovers. Give them some of the best of your time. That's why this mentoring kids is great. Some of these kids are lost. And to have an investment will be the highlight of their week. It will be the highlight of their week. They'll look forward to it all week.
And they might not even know that you're a Christian, but these two wonderful people, they're going to come on Thursday and from six to eight, I'm going to have a little heaven on earth. Right? So invest in the lost in prayer so that the veil that the God of this age has is no way are you blinding these lost people I'm praying for. I'm going to force that veil to come off in prayer. Okay? So pray. I'm going to share just a little bit besides of Denise and Jane and Teresa. So when I started in the youth ministry up in Wisconsin, an old man, 93 years old, came up to me one day and said, I didn't know who he was. And he said, you're Diane Brask, aren't you? And I said, yeah, I am. And I said, what's your name? And he said, Rudy. And he says, I want you to know, Diane, that every night between 2 and 4, I pray for you. I was blown away. He said, I know what you're doing. You're trying to reach kids in these towns. Well, I pray for you every single night because I can't sleep. So I leave Rosie. They'd been married for 70 years. I leave Rosie in bed and I get up and I sit in the recliner and I pray about all the things on the Lord's heart. And I pray for the lost kids of Burnett County and I pray for you. I said, Rudy, where do you live? And he said, in that low rent housing behind the bar in Siren. And I said, can I come to your place? Sure. And I said, if you're praying every day, every night, I want you to have a hit list. And I I literally went to the principals of the schools up there and said to them, give me a list of the 10 kids you wish weren't in your school. I want the biggest pains in the rear you've got. The ones that give you a headache, the ones that are always in the principal's office, give me those kids. So they give me the names. I go to Rudy. Hey, Rudy, here's the hit list. I said, no sense wasting time from two to four. Every night, pray for this list. I am telling you what. Check, check, check. Not me, Rudy, Rudy. I mean, Rudy prayed, like, I'd go to Rudy and say, guess what, Rudy, we got another one, another big fish. We got a big fish in Siren, right? And Rudy would be thrilled for his part in the kingdom. Okay, when Rudy died, the whole atmosphere of the area changed. And I'm not kidding. You could feel it in Burnett County. Rudy was gone. It was that intercessor who cried out to God for two hours every night for the lost. He was a fisherman. And he was gone for lunkers. None of these little bitty sunnies, right? He wanted the muskies, right? He was a fisherman. So we need to pray like Rudy. He was lifting the veil, boy. He was lifting the veil. Then As we began to understand more about this prayer concept, down the road further, we decided let's take the yearbooks of every high school in the whole area. Let's write down the names of the, it would be sophomore, junior, senior class in the yearbook, and then we'd have to get the names of the incoming freshmen, right? We entered them all on a database in our office. Then we split up. We kind of scrambled the names and split them up and went to the churches in the area and got up and challenged every Christian in those small country churches. How many of you will pray for five kids by name every day? 
We had every kid in six high schools covered every day in prayer by somebody up there praying for those kids by name to come to Jesus. We need to get serious about fishing, right? We got to get serious about fishing. Okay, so that's one. I can't say enough about prayer. Revelation twelve eleven. This is another a little um a little daredevil in your bait box. It says in Revelation twelve eleven, they overcame the devil, so you beat the devil, the God of this age, by prayer, but you also beat him this way. They overcame him, that evil sucker, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives even unto death. You guys, we need to work, and I mean work, on how we share our testimony with the lost. And we need to practice. Because we don't do a very good job of communicating with the lost. Did you know that? They don't understand what the heck we're talking about. Because we use churchanese. We use Christianese. And if we're charismatic, we really talk funny. And, and so they don't have a clue what you just said. Jesus, show me any place where Jesus talked weird. The most religious person, quote unquote, in all of the world never used churchanese or Christianese or religiousese. He's always talking real straight up and plain and everybody gets what he says. He speaks the street language of the day. He's not talking justification and sanctification and, and the blood of the lamb and, you know, all this stuff. He's just talking normal. That's why he said to Peter, hey, you want to catch fish? Come hang out with me. I'm going to show you how to catch people. That's easy to understand, right? And I think we lose so many fish because we talk so weird. So we need to be able to articulate what Jesus has done in our life in a simple, like, three-minute kind of a short version, because you guys know we live in soundbite time. Somebody doesn't want the 45-minute blah, 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 like I'm doing to you tonight. <laughs> Give it to me short and sweet, right? So kind of a simple outline that I use a lot is you just explain a little bit about your life before you met Jesus. Don't go into details about every sin you committed and like have this, my sin's bigger than your sin. And you know, you where you just dwell on the crap that you wallowed in. Some people's testimonies are more about their sin than they are about the Savior. Okay, that's not a good testimony. <laughs> so you tell a little bit about your life before Jesus. Then what it was, what event or what thing happened that led you to Jesus. Why did you become interested in him? What was it that turned you? Maybe it was you didn't have peace. You just felt so horrible all the time. You just felt restless. There was no peace in your life or maybe no joy or no love or whatever it was that you explain. And then I met someone and you can tell in a, a short way what it was that opened your eyes I want Jesus. I need Jesus. And you share about what that was that brought you to Jesus. Make the emphasis Jesus, not God. Okay? Now, why do I say that? Because all of the world believes in God. God is not offensive. There's gods all over, right? The offensive one is Jesus. 
Jesus is the stickler for the world. He's the stumbling block, but he's the savior. He's the one, he's, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one gets to the father except through me. That kind of narrowness is what offends people, but they must see that salvation is about Jesus and through Jesus, the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony, okay? So make it be about Jesus, how you came to him. And then, ooh, that's good, but I have a little bit right here. Thank you. And then, how has Jesus changed your life? Very easy for my friend that was smoking dope every day and drinking. She's standing in the bar and she's saying, they're saying, what's that in your eyes tonight, man? We haven't seen something like this in your eyes ever. What you on? And she says, Jesus. One word. Jesus. I met Jesus this last week and I'm telling you guys, this is a better high than pot. And this is better than getting drunk. I don't need to escape anymore. I'm full. One person said, you've been hanging around with Diane way too much lately. <laughs> and I, I can't do that to people. I can't put a light in your eye. I can't change you from being a dope smoker and a beer drinker. to. So she made it about Jesus. Make your testimony about Jesus and practice. Practice with each other. And you tell. You tell me when I say, you know what? That was weird. I don't know what that word meant. Be hard on each other. Put on your non-Christian hat. Don't be easy on each other. And you just tell them, you know what? That was too long or that was boring. Sharpen each other. If you guys are going to get anything right, get your testimony right. Now, once you get the how you came to Jesus, how you were born again, how you were saved. Work on other little segments where the Lord has met you in a meaningful way. Those crossroads in your life where the Lord set you free. He delivered you from something. Maybe it's you've gone through some counseling and the Lord just really came and met you and whoosh. One night somebody prayed for you at Communitas and things changed. Not necessarily salvation, but growth steps that are a part of your story, okay? Work on your story in, so that you're ready in an instant to share your story. It doesn't say they overcame them by the blood of the lamb and four steps. It doesn't say they overcame them by the blood of the lamb and a track. It doesn't say they overcame them by the blood of the lamb and a skit or a drama. They overcame them by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony we have taken the gospel and have made it so boring. I feel bad for God because he's not boring at all, right? He's the most unboring person I have ever met. And we have turned him into a little booklets. You know what? I love horseback riding. Do you think I need to talk to people? Let me tell you in four steps why I like to ride horse. Page number one. Can you imagine? I just met this great boyfriend or girlfriend, and now you're going to bring out a booklet to talk about them? We don't need this kind of stuff, right? We just share about our life because, wow, I went skiing in the mountains, and 
Boy, was it different than Wild Mountain or Trollhagen or Buck Hill. You should have seen this run. It was three miles long. Moguls were 10 feet high. This was skiing powder up to my butt. I mean, we don't need a booklet, right? I just think we've got to share out of the overflow of our hearts. Out of your innermost being is going to flow rivers of living water. And we got a little trickle coming out. Looks like drought because we're being forced into canned approaches. It's why I hated witnessing when I was your age. Like one more conference where they made you feel like 900 pounds of sin on a popsicle stick because you weren't sharing your faith. right? Don't, and, and you'd come away from that conference feeling like crap because your friends are going to hell in a handbasket and you're supposed to be out there with a booklet or something, right? Ah, oh, no wonder we're not witnessing. No wonder we don't want to do outreach because we just know we're going to have one more guilt trip about why we're not sharing our faith. It's got to get real, right? It's just got to get real. We just, this morning, I'll show you a real one this, this morning. I left the house and I told Paul, I'm going to go meet with a financial planner because personally I think that the United States economy is just going to tank. And I think that the money we are holding in our hand or our purse or our pocketbook, we might as well use to wipe ourselves in the toilet for all it's worth. Yeah, it's a little scratchy. It's not quite like Charmin. (laughs) But anyway, so I meet with this guy and out of the chute. I've never met this guy in my life. He's not, you know, a redneck financial planner. He's a big dog down here in the cities. And I say, you know, hi, mister, whatever his name was, and said, I just want to tell you I'm going to probably be an unusual client for you. And so if I could share a little bit about my life before we talk about money, that'd be great. So I said, here's kind of my life. First of all, you need to know that I'm a Christian. I really love Jesus. And so I take the Bible pretty seriously, so don't pull out a chart for me and show me a bull market that just keeps running up. Because I don't believe that the economy's always going to be running up. So I don't need to see a chart like that. According to the book, there's a time called the end of the age. And that age is going to be unprecedented. And that age is going to be like no other age that we've ever seen in human history. And the Bible actually says that all the economies of the world are going to tank and that there's going to be one world currency. So don't talk to me about how powerful the U.S. economy is. Because I kind of have this gut feeling, and I think it's God, that um, we're about to kiss it all goodbye. So what do you have to tell me? (laughs) That's how we started off the financial planning meeting. I was in his office from 9.30 till 12. It was amazing. We had this incredible conversation about, he said, I've never had a meeting with a client like this before. And we, we, we actually came to some good advice, and we agreed on some things. He actually thinks about the same way. He just hasn't known where it's coming from. I, and, and the guy deals with 200 clients in the Twin Cities, and most of them are multimillionaires. And he says, 99% of them, Diane, don't have a clue about what you just talked about. They just think they're going to keep riding the crest of this wonderful wave And they're going to be in for a big surprise, aren't they? If their money's their God, it's not going to happen, right? 
So I want you guys, every one of you this week, you work on your testimony. You write it down. Before you met Jesus, how you met Jesus, how Jesus has changed your life. And you practice it. And don't practice with somebody that's going to be easy on you. Okay, I'll give you an example. I'm leading Bible studies after Bethel with non-Christian kids up there in Siren, Wisconsin. We're get together. We always met in a neutral place, not a church. So we're meeting in a in an office on Main Street of Siren, and I'd let the kids goof around for a while before we start. I say, "Okay, you guys, it's time for us to all gather together. Time to get into the Word." Years later, this girl says to me, "You know, I always wondered whenever you know you'd let us goof around and play and talk for a while, and then you'd say time to get into the Word, and I would sit there and think, what word are we talking about tonight?'" She's telling me this long after she was saved as an, a married adult. She said, Diane, that was an example of I know now it was the Bible. I didn't have a clue that's what you meant. So every night I would think, okay, what key word is it that we're supposed to be getting tonight? That's an example of stupid, right? So... <laughs> We have to work on each other and try to put the non-Christian hat on. And maybe we practice. And we just say to a non-Christian, hey, I got this assignment. I was supposed to work on a part of my story, my life story. Can I practice it on you? And then you tell me if you understood it or not, because we're supposed to work on this and make sure that everybody can understand what we're talking about. So can I practice this part of my life story on you? It's a little bit religious, but hang with me. I think you'll like it. Okay, so you just be real, right? Non-Christians are easy. Really, they are. It's religious people that are hard. Non-Christians are wonderful. Religious people are a pain. No wonder Jesus didn't like them. You know, that's why he hung with sinners. Sinners are great. Religious people can be so stuffy. So work on your testimony. Another thing that I'm, I'm here doing at Harvest Project this week is... Jesus didn't do hardly any of what we do, teaching, preaching, the way we do ministry. Jesus told stories. Jesus asked questions. Jesus told parables. He made the kingdom a scavenger hunt, a treasure hunt. How many of you loved that? Wasn't that great games in youth group when you had a treasure hunt or a scavenger hunt? You had to go find the prize. And the kingdom of God is like a pearl of great price. And he sold everything he had to get that pearl. And you go home and go, hmm, what's the pearl of great price? I think people always went away from Jesus going, hmm, sitting around their homes at night, no electricity, maybe the little candle burning, dad saying as the kids are and wife dozing off, what would you think about Jesus' story today? What did you get out of that? What do you think he meant? Did you see the way he looked at that guy when he asked that question? What do you think that question was about? Anybody got any ideas? Are you piecing it together? How does that story fit in with the one we heard last month, last week? You know, there were some people that were, were figuring it out, but most were not. I think we have to go back to storytelling myself. I've never witnessed so much since I learned how to tell stories. 
I'm going to tell you one. I've told some of you this before. You would never pick this for an evangelism story. You would never say that this story is the gospel. So I have a friend named Bramwell who lives in Kenya. He's a Kenyan. Bramwell is a masterful Bible storyteller. He's a trainer for all of Africa. He's a great brother. So he goes to Nigeria, to northern Nigeria, to train people how to tell Bible stories to Muslims rather than preach at them and say that Allah's not God and Muhammad's not really a prophet and Jehovah's God and and Jesus is the true... Forget about this apologetics bashing of my God's bigger and better than yours. Go up and tell stories, right? So Bramwell goes up into the radical Muslim area to teach them how to be engaging with the Muslims in storytelling rather than preaching or teaching. So on the way, he's on the bus, flies into Nigeria, takes the bus up north, and an um, older lady come and, comes and sits by him. She says to him, young man, what do you do for a living? He says, basically, ma'am, I'm a storyteller. She says, really? Guess what she asked next? Tell me a story. If you say, I'm a Christian and I want, I'm up here to preach, you think that they're going to say, tell me a sermon. <laughs> Who would say, give me a sermon? Or you say, I'm a Bible teacher. Teach me a Bible lesson. Nobody asks that. But you say, I'm a storyteller. Tell me a story. It happens every time. So Bramwell thinks, huh, what should I tell her? Well, I'll tell her a short one so she can remember it. So he tells Mary and Martha. It's four verses. It's like Luke 10, 38 through 42. So he starts telling the story, and Jesus and his disciples were on their way through a village, and a woman named Martha came to them and said, why don't you guys come to my house? So she invites them all into into her house. Wait a minute, the lady says. You mean to say that woman invited some men to come into her house? You guys don't, might not know this, but in Muslim land, this is forbidden. Your head can roll as a woman. You have to have the husbands, the uncles, the brothers. You've got to have the men in the house. No women can associate in any way with men without their men present. So the woman wants to know, where are the men? Well, Bramwell says there's no mention in the story about her husband or any other men there. She just invites Jesus into her house. Wow, that was pretty weird to her. So the story goes on. And when they got into the house, Martha had a sister named Mary who came and sat at Jesus' feet because she wanted to hear everything he had to say. Wait a minute. You mean to say that Jesus would let a woman come and sit in the room with the men? And be taught by him? No imam would ever allow that. Then the next scene of the story, and Martha's busy with all the preparations that have to be made, and she comes out into the room and says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work? Tell her to get out there and help me. Wait a minute. (laughs) You mean Jesus would let Martha talk to him like that? And He would allow her to tell him what to do. No woman tells an imam what to do. No woman would think of telling a religious leader. The lady thinks that the next line in the story is going to be, and Jesus hauled off and slapped Martha across the face. And get out there in the kitchen and do it yourself. And Martha, Martha, 
you're worried and upset about so many things. But only one thing is needed, and your sister has chosen that, and I won't take that away from her. This Muslim woman is completely blown away by four verses. And as you guys are learning, those that are in Harvest Project, learning the story process, so Bramwell unpacks it with her. He just asks questions. And as he gets to application questions, he goes, so what do you think about the story? If you could be anyone in the story, who would you want to be? And the woman says, I would give anything to be Mary. I want to sit at Jesus' feet and learn from him. I would love to have Jesus teach me. And Bramwell said, well, he can. He's still letting women sit at his feet today. Right? So he leads this woman to faith in Jesus on the bus in northern Nigeria. And then Bramwell goes on his way. He gets her, con- he gets her contact. She gets his. And he goes to do his workshop. And she goes to her village. This woman, for one year, talks about fishing. She's semi-literate. She can barely text. She borrows a friend's phone. She texts Bramwell a message shortly after that bus ride. I got one. (laughs) I used the same story. In one year, one Muslim woman who knew one story in the Bible that was four verses long led 47 women to Jesus. She didn't have the four spiritual laws. She didn't have steps to peace with God. She didn't have, you know, the Romans road. I'm not, I mean, she didn't have any of that. She had four verses of scripture. But the word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, right? The word is. And so she, she's in love with Jesus. And I'm not sure that he, she knows yet that Jesus died on the cross for her sin. But beyond any shadow of a doubt, she's born again. And I don't know that she knows about the crucifixion, the resurrection. She, she doesn't know. I don't know that she's seen a Bible or heard any more Bible stories. I'm not sure. But I know she led 47 people to Jesus. That was at last count. It's probably up to 147 now for all we know. God is wanting. The message never changes. But the packaging does. It's time, your generation, please, you guys, don't just swallow everything that comes down the pike from my generation. You need to be like, you know, when when David said he wanted to go slay that giant, Saul said, put on my armor. Don't let my generation tell you what to wear. I'm, I'm talking when it comes to witnessing, okay? Don't let us say to you, When I was your age, we went out and did this, this way. Well, maybe we did. And maybe it worked then, maybe it didn't. But you need to maybe say, you know what? I feel comfortable with the loincloth and five smooth stones in my slingshot. I got the word of my testimony, and I got five great stories. And I think I'm just going to go out there and tell them my story. And I think I'm going to tell them the five Bible stories that I love the most that have impacted my life the deepest, and I'm just going to be me. Isn't that what basically David said when he went out and took on Goliath? He just said, i got to be me. I can't be you. I can't do it your way. I can't do your skit, do your sermon, do your thing. You talk about Jesus in your 
life, right? Make it real for you. It frees us up so much, right? Because you don't have to be somebody else. You just has the Lord honestly. Do you have a testimony? Has he really met you? If he has, no matter how much or how big or how little, you don't have to share somebody else's story. Share yours because that's what's real. Okay. I want to talk just briefly now about a friend of mine. The Bible's really clear. So all of these are simple, right? We got prayer. We've got the word of your testimony. We've got stories rather than formulas. All right? The last thing we have is good works. We're way short of those. Jesus not only said he came to seek and to save the lost, he said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. He said basically what Paul said. He said, I came to lay it down. I came to serve other people. It's not about me. I'm not the king in the room. I came to serve others. We need to be about service. It also says in the word that people, the lost, will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. When they see you serving, when they see you working, when they see you um, volunteering to be a mentor for kids on Thursdays. They see you doing things in your community to help. They see whatever it is, go into some Somalian neighborhood and say, what are some needs of some of the people here? Who needs their lawn raked? Who needs the screens taken down and storm windows put up? Um, who has gone through some crisis and could use a house cleaning? We're going to bring in a team, and we're going to clean your house from top to bottom. We will scrub your toilets. We will wash your windows. We'll vacuum your place. We'll go shopping. We'll take an offering. We'll go buy food for you this week. They're going to see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. James says faith without works is dead. So we're especially good at groups like this about talking about let's bump up our faith, right? We're going to pump up our faith. And we're going to have greater faith. Hey, well, James is making it real clear. You want greater faith? Go do something. Go meet a need, right? Not just, you know, read another Bible verse, see how much you can memorize, tell another, you know. Get out there and put some boots on the ground and go meet some needs of the lost. It'll blow their minds, especially your generation, <laughs> It'll blow their minds. So uh, this is just a short story, but from Uganda. I was in Uganda in February. So I'm there on a mission trip, but I hear the story about a family who buried their two-month-old baby last year because of malaria. And I said to the people I was with, I go, I live in Wisconsin. We have a lot of mosquitoes. No one's ever buried their child from a mosquito bite. This is so wrong. I said, who is this lady? I want to go do something. Let's have a party. So they found out who this family was. And so I said to the little team I was with, I go, let's go do like um, a mini version of a baby shower. Because the woman was pregnant again, eight months pregnant in February. And can you imagine how scared she was? Eight kids. This was her ninth well, her 10th, because they'd lost the one. And I said, I bet she's so scared thinking, what if my baby dies again? So I went to a little store in Gulu and bought 
not just the big mosquito net that would put the whole family under it, but also one of these, like, put the net over your casserole at a picnic, only this was over your baby. So you could go out to the field and work in the field, and your baby could be under a mosquito net and under a mosquito net when they're in the house. And we brought every kind of baby thing they'd want, everything for moms, food for the family for two months so that they, yeah, we just tried to make it as we just came to them and said, we want to love on you. We heard you buried your baby last year. We didn't talk about God. We just said, we have some gifts for you. Okay, so here's the dad. I will never forget this. We get done. The dad who's blind in one eye follows us to our vehicle. And then with tears running down his one eye that he can see from, he says, ma'am, I just want you to know something. I didn't see you today. Today I saw God. I cried. I said, sir, that is the best thing I've heard the whole mission trip I've been on. Because we didn't want you to see us. Because this wasn't us. God's heart was broken when your baby died last year. I can't imagine, sir, what it was like to bury your two-month-old daughter. And this is because God wants you to know you don't have to be afraid this time. God's going to protect your baby. And you guys are going to have a life. And, yeah, God loves you. Wherever we went and did an act of kindness, people wanted to know, why are you doing this? What's, what's up with this? You know, we weren't coming Bible bangers. We weren't Bible thumpers. We didn't say, listen to a sermon and then we'll give you some food. We just went and did good deeds, right? So what are the good deeds you could do in the cities? About the people that you're targeting. So my friend Tom Horton that lives in Seattle, he was a youth pastor of a large Presbyterian suburban church in Seattle. And one day when he was driving um, to a mission trip down in Mexico, they're going by all these little towns in California, and Tom goes, huh, I wonder what God's doing in that little town. And then after a while, this starts rumbling around in him more, and he thought, you know what? I'm so curious about what's going on in little towns, I think I'm going to quit my job. So he's a 25-year veteran youth pastor in this church. He walks away from his job and his paycheck and his security, And he starts something called Rural Church Youth Ministries, where he went around Seattle and challenged all the churches in Seattle, why are you sending your youth group to Mexico to mission trips all over the world? Why not send your youth group to rural America? Of course, I was pretty lit up about that. So his role was he drove all around Washington, Oregon, and Idaho, went into little towns, cold turkey with no relationship, knocked on a church's door and said, would you like me to send a youth group to your church for a week this summer? won't cost you a dime. All we're going to do is come and serve your community. We'll pay for everything. We'll sleep on your floor. You just tell us what your town needs and we'll do it. We'll paint, we'll clean, we'll cut wood. I was there three years ago when a trucking firm brought in a semi of logs, dropped off a semi load in front of this little country church. And the suburban church spent all week cutting and splitting firewood and enterprise gave them four pickup trucks from Seattle 
to haul firewood to widows and shut-ins in that area that could only heat their houses by, by wood because they didn't have money, right? So can you imagine this town of 2,000 seeing a youth group of 30 kids come in to split firewood all day for the poor and needy of their town? So all day, this is their only strategy. Listen to this. From 9 to 5, they serve, and they let the community, the rural church in that community, tell them what to do. And they just serve for eight hours a day. Then at night they say to the community, hey, we'd like to invite you to the local park where they'll play volleyball or basketball or whatever, the beach party, but they also feed them. They say, well, one night hot dogs, one night hamburgers, one night chicken, they'll have a pig roast one night, and invite the whole town. Everybody wants to come because these kids are great, right? No adults up there. It's not, it's not Pastor Paul and me and Karen doing the teaching. It's the kids. It's the youth group. And you know what they're doing? The word of their testimony. The kids are doing the music. The kids are sharing, they'll have three kids share their testimony, very simple program, and the kids are been taught how to hang out with adults, how to hang out with kids, so they're mingling around the crowd, and the community is saying, thank you so much, we've never met a youth group like you that would come and serve our town like you guys have. They have seen hundreds, this last summer, 70 teams of young people went out into the rural northwest and led hundreds of people to the Lord and they saw their good deeds and glorified their Father in heaven. They went to a border town. They went to a border town of uh, Canada and, um, and, and Washington. Now, now one over. Idaho. A town of 300, everybody in the town got saved. They sent 10 kids, a a youth group of 10, and they just busted their butts for a week for 300 people and blew the town away. Doing what? Serving and the word of their testimony. So let's just get back to basics. Let's pray for the lost. Let's know our testimonies. Let's repackage the way we do outreach and witnessing and let's serve so that our Father will be glorified and people will be drawn to the Jesus in us that loves them, that is still seeking and saving the lost. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Um, if you want, if you're feeling tonight, and I want you to really think about this, because I know, I know witnessing is weird, and I know it can be scary. I've been there. But if you're saying tonight, doggone it, I want to catch fish. I'm tired of being a Christian that n- just gets minnows. You know, I'm tired of no fish. I want to I wanna see lost saved. I want to learn what it is to catch people. Would you stand up? If you're serious about saying, I want people to know Jesus and I want to learn how to do this. Amen. Amen. Father, there is nothing I would love more than to see every night at Communitas someone stand up and say, God, another one. I want somebody, I want Communitas to be standing up and showing off their stringers. (laughs) 
We got a stringer. Look at these lunkers this week. Lord, we need to catch souls. We're most healthy when we're most productive. We were born to reproduce. We were born to have babies. We need spiritual babies, Lord. We need to see people come into Jesus. Otherwise, we're going to be like a lake with an inlet and no outlet. And a, a lake like that turns stagnant and it starts to sink, stink and it gets swampy smelling because it can't have all this stuff coming in. And I feel like communitas can be a place where a lot comes in, comes in, comes in, teaching, worship, prayer, fellowship. But these guys need a place to let all that out. And so, Lord, right now, put on their hearts names of people. Give them your love for somebody. Give them your love for the gas station attendant. Your love for a classmate that they've forgotten about. Your love for a people group in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Do it, Lord. I want to see these guys bring in a harvest. It's harvest time, Lord. It's harvest time on the farm. The crops are coming in, and it's not so great this year. It's been a drought, but it's been a drought spiritually too, Lord. And, oh, Lord, we want the harvest to come in. We want the barns full. This is the time. You're coming soon. This is the unprecedented harvest time. Use people in this room to lead hundreds, thousands, millions to Christ. More than corn cobs in a cornfield. More than soybeans on every little pot of a whole field. Lord, use this room to bring in a harvest for your sake. Amen. Paul. Amen. Go ahead and clap. What do you appreciate about what you heard? Keep keep talking. Lives got changed. People got saved. Kingdom got advanced. Thank you, Father, for the messages that you're giving to us these days. Thank you for the word that's going into our heart. Thank you for the conviction, the encouragement. Thank you for the change that's taking place. Thank you for the transformation. Little by little, it's impacting us. Thank you for tonight. Thank you for the message. It's going to make a difference in the way we treat lost people. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Here's what we want to do now. Well, Diane will be up here. Some of the people will be up in the front. But the first thing I want you to do is turn to the person next to you. Pray in what you heard. Pray into your heart or pray into the person next to you. Just go ahead and turn right now. Pray for the person next to you. We're going to turn this into a prayer meeting. 